Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? It's Spider-Man week. Oh my gosh. That's all I can think about. TJ at work has been calling it Marvel Week. Marvel Week? Yeah, he's like, dude, this is our week, buddy. This is our week. (laughs) (laughs) This is our week. One for the little guys. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) As big a franchise, is it? Like the Marvel fans, are we the little guys? (laughs) No, that was my sarcasm. (laughs) But but between, between Hawkeye and... And Spider-Man, he was like, this is our week, buddy. Mm-hmm. No, oh. I get it. I love his excitement. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, peek behind the curtains. We've done multiple recordings today. I think we almost sidetracked that first recording because all we could talk about is how excited we were for Spider-Man No Way Home. Which is weird because it was one of those, damn it, ice. Are you eating again? <laughs> <laughs> Which was weird because it was one of those time traveling ones that we're like recording now. And it's not going to play until 2022. And we're like, we're excited to see Spider-Man. But by the time that drops, it's going to be. Who knew Spider-Man No Way Home would be the worst movie in the MCU. (laughs) (laughs) The MCU has shut down. No more, (sighs) says Kevin Feige. (laughs) Kevin, you know, we're kidding. You know, we're kidding. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I just okay. I'm just gonna go ahead and live say this. A text just came in from my cousin Paul. I'm rewatching Homecoming right now, and I'm like 95% sure that the hotel they stay at when they travel to DC is the same one I stayed at for my high school trip. <laughs> that's that's cool. <laughs> is Paul secretly Peter Parker? Ooh, it's possible. <laughs> Was that a pun but on his name? He, if he is. He's kept his secret identity well hidden. Hey, that is the mark of a true hero there. Yep. (laughs) Well, you know what? I I do want to say this for anybody who may have some apprehension. Even though uh, this drops uh, after the movie is released, we haven't seen it yet. So even if we wanted to, we could not not spoil it. And even if we could, we wouldn't. So if anybody's worried about No Way Home spoilers, uh, it will be exempt from the spoiler zone within this episode. So you're safe to listen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, they don't know that. As of the recording. As of the recording. By the time you listen to this, I'll probably have seen it three times. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, of course, if you downloaded this episode, then you know we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 5 of Hawkeye, entitled Ronin. The way we're going to do this is we're going to have some pre-spoiler thoughts, which is a way for us to discuss the episode without spoilers, and give you a taste of what we thought so that you can hear it. After that, you'll hear an audio cue, which will take us into the spoiler zone, uh, which will be fair game for all spoilers in the MCU. Now, I did mention it earlier, but just to hammer it home, Spider-Man No Way Home and Eternals are still exempt from the spoiler zone, uh, so those will not be discussed there. It's close, though. Eternals drops January 12th. Yes, so it's 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 on its way. Yeah, and so our official spoiler policy is people have a week after it releases on Disney Plus to watch it, and after that, it'll be fair game in our spoiler zone. So, good call on letting people know that that is soon. That out of the way, Jude, what are your pre-spoiler thoughts for Hawkeye Season 1, Episode 5? I think this is my favorite Disney Plus show. Not only was it so good, something I didn't realize till later, it was... 
similar to what we got in Loki, how you'd have like an action episode and a, and a predominantly talking episode. This was predominantly dialogue mm-hmm. and it had me the whole way through. Yeah. And it didn't leave me with that feeling of, okay, all we have left is the big action set piece. You know, it, it left me with, man, we got, we got stuff to do, you know, it's not yeah. just the, the wrap up. So yeah. So I'm so pumped. The show is so good. So I will share what we put on social media, uh, which is what we do. We share our pre-spoiler thoughts so people can get a taste uh, before the episode drops on Monday. And I said that last week's big reveal has shaken up the groove that the series established, and I think it makes it that much better. Um, And for as packed as the finale is bound to be, I think this episode gives us that pause that we need to get our characters into place for a super effective emotional uh, resolution. So... That is how I felt coming out of this. I do have one growing concern that a certain character's past may not get the attention it deserves, but I think that's more to do with that feeling of like, man, we've got so much to do in this finale. I'm going to be shocked to see how they pull this off, but they have built some trust given the momentum and consistency that this show has been running with so far. Mm -hmm. Well, not even that. Like the, The trust that they've gained just all the way through of like, Oh, how are you going to do this with so little time? How are you going to do this with so little time? And they managed to find a way to do it. Yeah. It's a very impressive show. Yeah. Which is so important for a show like this. I mean, any TV show you watch, right? Whether it's Disney plus Netflix, Amazon prime, basic broadcast, right? Like they have to gain the audience's trust to to do some things of like, Hey, we're going to take you down this path. And don't worry. We're not going to leave you hanging. We're going to, we're going to, we got it under control. Um, and when you don't trust as an audience, the, the creators to do that, it's, you know, it's danger. It's trouble for the show. And, and they've really, I think for me personally, they've gained my trust. And I think, uh, on on the whole, the viewers trust in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it, and we can pick this back up in the spoiler zone. So, like we said, you're gonna hear an audio cue, and on the other side, it'll be fair game for all spoilers in the MCU. We'll see you on the other side. And we're back. So the way we're going to handle this is we're going to be breaking this episode down into the most important topics, which is a way for us to break down the episode without having to go scene by scene. So the first most important topic is Girls' Night. This section is going to be for us to discuss all the Yelena-centric scenes within this show and specifically the conversation that Yelena and Kate have in Kate's apartment. So starting with you, Jude, is there anywhere you'd like to start within this section? So this scene with the girls' night, we have it's kind of broken up. So we get the initial meeting, we go to Grills and Hawkeye, and then come back and finish up this scene. So this is kind of right towards the middle end where there where Yelena is is getting Bishop's trust, and and it's that whole exchange of like, well, yeah, if you if you wanted me dead, you would already kill me. Oh yeah, yeah, right, right as you walked in the door, right there. I probably wouldn't have had time to shut the door. No, you wouldn't have. And just so, like, it's real. Like that's you're right. You could have been dead right there. So you know, you 
she's not going to kill you, but it also builds this really cool rapport between the two of them. Mm. The thing that I think that I took from that exchange is I was shocked to see how much it felt like the Red Guardian's goofiness was coming through Yelena. And I I, want to be careful here because I feel like goofiness feels derogatory, but the way Yelena uses it to be approachable and relatable, but still take command of that situation because Kate was clearly still like being cautious in the way that she responded. I think it's a, a, a wild skill that Yelena has because she's being genuine and she's being honest about the things she's excited about, like how excited she was for the mac and cheese or how excited she was to do sightseeing. But she quickly is able to turn it back on when she's like, oh, I'm not going to talk to Clint. I'm going to kill him. And you can feel the sincerity of like, this is what she's doing. So the way that it is demonstrating her character in this rapport is wonderful. And it Mm -hmm. shows some common ground too, because we've already seen Kate has a tendency to use the awkwardness to her benefit as well. Just like the way Mm -hmm. she did with the tenant, where she pretended like she was hearing, or she wasn't, but she was hearing an Avenger in her ear. Yeah. So there's some yeah. commonality there. Oh, absolutely. Well, and it's and it's interesting to see because I mean, essentially, it's an interrogation, you know, and that you that side of Yelena, you know, doing the this interrogation because it is business, you know, and her ability to be like, well, to be able to mix this pleasure in business kind of thing of like <laughs> of like, hey, I want to go see the sites. What do you recommend? And and Kate at first was like, you go see these places, and then, then realizes like, oh, you're serious, like okay, yeah, you should go here, here, and here, you know, <laughs> and and because like she legitimately is like, hey, I'm gonna go do this, you know, because I love American Christmases, you know. <laughs> <laughs> As an aside, one of my favorite things about her describing American Christmases is when she talks about Rudolph and how much she loves them, and then he's like, oh, he's so weird. Completely missing the point of Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> I love that one. the the super powered reindeer. Have you had reindeer? If not had the pleasure, <laughs> it is now, not a pleasure. <laughs> I am already quoting this because I watched that scene about four times today. Just mm-hmm. that scene, just rewinding it. I just, I, I think I was on the phone with friend Daniel, and he was just like, Haley Steinfeld is just great as Kate Bishop. But bringing in Yelena and Florence Pugh really took it up a notch because she is so good. And to see the two of them banter back and forth and to get more of that character. Yeah, Florence Pugh is so good. Yeah, I think that was one of the first things I wrote in my notes. Yelena makes everything better. Like it was a fantastic addition to mm-hmm. this show. And. I think you're right. The The chemistry that Haley Steinfeld and Florence Pugh have together as their respective characters is really well done. It makes all the sense in the world that Yelena has this enthusiasm for, for simple things like box mac and cheese or wanting to mm-hmm. do these sightseeings because she has spent a majority of her life under the control of somebody else. So to see her pair that confident social awkwardness with the skills that she has picked up as a Black Widow is a great contrast to getting glimpses into Kate's life, who is a young adult trying to have their own individuality and the way Yelena is like calling into that, like you have one fork, 
I'm one person. Oh, that is yeah. not cutlery. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I had a couple of questions came to mind. I don't, cause I don't think we know she's a double major. Kate's a double major. Uh, Elena tells us that knowing that she wants to be a superhero. What do you think her two majors are like cybersecurity and like a language or criminal justice? Like what, what, are, what do you think? Criminal justice has to be one for sure. Yeah, I think so. I And I'm leaning towards psychology. I don't know, like something about just knowing the inner workings just for, I'm imagining interpersonal communication and de-escalation and trying to get into the minds of either petty criminals or supervillains. Yeah, okay. That that feels like a, a, a area she would go in. So when a short side story, cause it, and it connects, a uh, short tangential side story. When I was in college, uh, my roommate, Brian, at the time, uh, no, he was Brian at the time. His name's still Brian. Um, he was my roommate <laughs> at the time. Um, one of his electives he decided to sign up for because, like, when it came to sign up, his last name ended up being towards the end. And he's like, okay, I got to take some other class. So he ended up taking a hostage negotiation class. Whoa. And one of the things they did was watch through a couple of, like, scenes in a movie. Uh, in fact, one, the negotiator, where you have two, and and just, like, critique it. And they had to do, like, a simulated negotiation and stuff. It was pretty cool. Kate Bishop would probably see that and think, okay, cool, I got to take this. Yeah, I think that's another good good uh, guess as to what her majors were. So, the one class he didn't get into and that I didn't get into because everybody wanted to take it, there was a hospitality major, right? Like, you're going to go be a hotel manager or, you know, something like that. And there was a wine and beer tasting class where they taught you, you know, the tasting, what you're looking for and all that, it was always full. It was hard to get into that class. <laughs> that feels like a plot line from Community. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> You're going to sit around the table and it's like, what are we going to take? Oh, let's take the, the wine tasting class. <laughs> and they're going to have to win the paintball contest to get first dibs on... on <laughs> registration. On, on registration. Oh, man. Well, I want to stick with this scene with Kate and Yelena, but I'm going to transition into something a little bit more serious, but I can't leave this part of the conversation without saying Kate and Yelena sharing a pot of macaroni and cheese uncomfortably might be peak MCU. That just that whole idea of them sitting there, Kate super uncomfortable and Yelena just wanting to take the whole pot was giving me so much laughter. I'm right there with Kate though, when she made that face. About the hot sauce in the mac and cheese? Yeah. No. It's a lot of hot sauce. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, one of the things I do appreciate that Yelena was doing is it feels like she's asking the right questions. She was, obviously, she's very driven to kill Clint because of the information that she has been fed, but I think she has a very valid question when she says, how is everyone forgiving him for his past? You know, I know she's misguided in the way she's doing this, but I think it is important that she's bringing that up, especially when she pairs it up with that question. What does that word even mean in reference to the Avengers? Now, the only reason that stands out to me is is something we'll tackle later on in this podcast, but I like that. It's showing Yelena, it's more than just like, this person killed my sister, 
I'm going to do this. She has thought about like why this person is getting this pass just because mm-hmm. he. Oh, yeah. I mean, that question is a huge critique of our culture. It reminds me mm-hmm. of, you know, your buddy, uh, Mike Tomlin. <laughs> My buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a diehard Steelers fan. Yeah. And, and his whole, you know, I will tolerate you till I can replace you kind of thing. Or, or in other words, hero worship. You know, it's like yeah. because you can catch a football, because you can rush the passer, because you can throw, you know, the upper 90s and have a killer breaking ball, the right team colors, we're going to overlook that hero worship. And American sports shows us like we will overlook a lot and we will forgive a lot. It is a really interesting critique of like, Look what he's done, but just because you attach Avenger to him and have that hero worship, look what you're willing to forgive. And culturally, we do that a lot. Now, it's interesting because there is that line of forgiveness is a good thing. Where is that that accountability of you got to hold people accountable to what they do? Um, you have to be forgiving or not have to be, but it's it's good and right and, and normal and just to be forgiving. And in some cases, we'd also use the word merciful. And But you have to, it's, it's kind of comes back to what you said with Yelena. It's like, it can't just be because of the hero worship. It has to be true forgiveness and warranted forgiveness and true mercy and warranted mercy. And and that's such a difficult question to answer and, and and thing to tackle for, especially for a short pie. But for me, like in that question, all of that's wrapped up in it. Like how powerful a word is that that you can just let the rest of it go? And I think the show does something incredibly smart by having Kate be the one to argue on Clint's behalf because it is taking what she has learned in theory about loss and arguing for Clint's sake of like, when you, you know, what, when you do what he's done and he's lost what he's done, he may not be perfect, but he's a good person. And that leads Yelena to have that line about like, okay, well then was my sister Mm -hmm. just collateral? They're dealing in a very heavy space where I don't think there is one right answer, but both characters are having to re-examine where they lie on this case because, you know, Kate is pushed to that moment where she says, oh, I've only known him a week. And she has to reexamine that. And after Kate questions Yelena about who hired her, we see the altering of her trajectory and how that affects her. So that one question, I think, spurs a lot of Mm -hmm. different paths for these Mm -hmm. characters. Well, and when you think about what she was prior to the opening of Black Widow... Well, the opening's probably the the first time we see her older in that first widow mission, right? And mm-hmm. and what she's done since and what and the work she's continuing to do. And I do wonder, is it hmm is there a little bit of hip, hypocrisy on her part? Or because if she was hired to kill Bart Right. And that's how she's making her money as a hired assassin. She's practically doing the same thing Ronan was doing. So the two things that come to mind is we've seen how much this show is dealing in that space of what 
revenge will drive a person to do the the revenge is corrosive storyline that is very common so i think the way that i interpret it whenever kate pushes back and says did you ever think about what kind of person would hire you to kill clint that was the first moment i think yelena starts to put it together that like okay yeah maybe she has a point and i've been operating under this rage that i have that he was responsible for my sister's death um i think that pause is what gets her to investigate Eleanor later on in the episode. But I don't think I have a good answer. I mean, the only thing that I can say is what feels different about Clint and his stint as Ronan is he was operating purely under an emotional response. He was going out there and killing for the sake of killing because he was hurt for the loss of his family. He also has a line later where he is talking to um, Maya, where he says, we're no different. We're weapons used by other people. If the person truly believes that the, the person wielding the weapon is for a good cause, I can kind of see the dots to where Yelena doesn't see it as wrong. But I think in theory, you were right. That was a long-winded way to get to my answer, but I, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes sense. It, it does. It makes sense. And it, I mean, it, essentially all three of those characters have some form of, of revenge and it's being channeled in a particular way. Uh, or, well, I would say all three of them have wrestled with revenge and what that's done to them and what they're doing with it after and how is that being channeled mm-hmm. and what are they using it for or that rage that gets pointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we even see it in that prologue, that wonderful prologue that we get with Yelena uh, as she's going about freeing black widows. She has that conversation with Anna where she realizes that she's using her skills to make money where they bursted in there to save her because she thought they thought that she was still under the control of the the mind altering agent but she was free and using those skills to further her life. So I think they are playing in this space of and I'll just say that I know this because of other podcasts and just conversations we've had with peers. I think if I'm not mistaken the comic run the aha comic run um is my life as a weapon. So it, it feels like this is mm-hmm. a space that even the source material is playing in as well. Yeah. Yeah. On the topic of that prologue, though, do you have any thoughts on that scene as well? Oh, visually? Uh, okay, well, a couple of things. Visually, it was fantastic. The the blip moment. However, I was disappointed. Uh, where, I, where I was really disappointed at with, with, with that opening was, well, let me say what I liked about it. And then I'll say the disappointment. I liked seeing her continue what she's doing. The visuals of being blipped was fantastic. We're actually seeing her live out her belief. This, it's what you do, not nice words. Yes. But I wish they would have did the same like sound effects of memories that they did with Monica Rambeau and WandaVision. Okay. So just a little bit more consistency in the way they are depicting it. Yeah, like like I, the visuals, the way they did the room, all of that was fantastic. I loved it. The transition was fantastic, but but getting we we see Monica get that 
the the memories all rushing back. I I wish we would have seen that 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 little tidbit added. Yeah. So the only thing that I can say, and this is completely reaching, so it's 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 kind of a weak defense in the show's part. With Monica, it felt like we were getting that internal perspective, which is why we were hearing those memories and all those things that came rushing back to her. But with Yelena, we were getting an external perspective, which is why we saw the room materializing in a different context because she had been gone in those five years. So that might be a weak defense on why we didn't get that consistency, but I, I don't know. Like I, I appreciated the way that it was showing us a perspective of the blip that we haven't seen yet, despite the fact that the MCU keeps going back to this well. Yeah. See, I don't... Yeah, I don't agree with you, but yeah, I, I it makes sense. Okay. So. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it, it, it makes sense what you're saying, but the reason why I don't agree with you is when we get Monica, it's, we, we see a view of the chair and Monica comes back. Whereas with the camera, we, we go with, we basically, Yelena's point of view, we go with Yelena into the bathroom, the door is shut. It's just the camera and Yelena. She looks down, you know, we see the hand. So it's all Yelena's point of view as it disappears and comes back. So we, so we're, I think more internally Yelena than we are Monica. Okay. Cool. I'm glad it's good to understand what you disagree with. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so like, I I see what you're saying, but I, I feel like what you're saying actually applies more to Yelena than Monica. Mm-hmm. Just, just because of the sequence and the way they shot it, and and the the point of view they they put us in versus the Monica. I do have a question for you. Go for it. How do you think she found out about Natasha? Do you think she found out through Anna? See, that's what I was wondering because I don't think what happened to, to Natasha would be common knowledge. I wouldn't think so either. Just because, and we've seen this as a huge critique of Endgame overall, Natasha didn't get the fanfare Tony Stark got. So I don't know how much the general public knows about what happened. I'm trying to remember, Far From Home, did they show Natasha in the rest in peace section? I think they did. Okay. so It's been a while. I got to stay up tonight and watch Homecoming and Far From Home. And all the other Spider-Man just to get ready for tomorrow morning. It is it is nine thirty at night, and I love that you are going to watch two movies for <laughs> No Way Home tomorrow. <laughs> but yeah, so like, I don't. I honestly don't remember on there, but I think they did. Okay, so you know what? I'm, here's what I'm going to say because I'm so glad you went into this question because it was one of my notes I was going to go to. I love that the gut punch of this scene is that they didn't show us that revelation on Yelena's part, because I think what we (laughs) feel internally is more impactful than what they could show on screen. Not to discredit Florence Pugh, who's an incredible actress, but that gut punch of cutting away before that revelation was very emotional. (laughs) But I would say, to answer your question, I would say maybe it's just general knowledge of like, yeah, she didn't make it back. And maybe that's all she got, which is what brings her to Val in learning the false history. Yeah. Well, I think it serves two things. I think you're right on that gut punch because we know, and it kind of leaves hanging of like, Oh my gosh, she's just now finding out. 
also, you know, she is, she's, she's a supporting character. If you go down that road of her finding out in this, like you're, that means we're following her completely now. Yeah. Um, and this is not her story. So, so it's also an efficiency reason, I think. And so I, I think it works both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's important to note, we get this prologue, not only before the Marvel Studios fanfare, we get it before the recap as well. So yeah, even though it's part of the episode, it is clear that they're denoting this is kind of extra knowledge uh, to set us up for this character's scenes that we talked about with Kate and Yelena. Mm-hmm. And the time passing, just to how fast it went of in and out. And it was five years. That's that was cool because that's something on the Monica side you don't get. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question now. What did you make of that scene where after they've settled down, they're having their discussion about uh, what they plan to do in the future? Anna asks Yelena about Natasha. Yelena says, we're good. And then they talk about living out that sex in the city fantasy in New York. And Yelena gets visibly upset and goes to the bathroom. Did you pick up anything from that? Uh, my thought was looking where what, where that said, that was right at snap time, you know? Because like then she, excuse me, goes to the restroom. She knows that Natasha's on the run. I mean, if you think about where they're at in the snap, Natasha's currently in Wakanda fighting the children of Thanos. Um, before that, she's on the run because of the Sokovia Accords. So it's it's also probably maybe a realization that she can't do that. Mm-hmm. I think I like your read a lot better than, than mine. So just to set the scene, Black Widow takes place in 2016 give or take because it's like right after the events of civil war that's when civil war took place this is in 2018 so we've got a bit of a two-year window that we're dealing with here uh i gotta imagine maybe there's some contact maybe not i i was reading in that there may have been a potential fallout or something that happened because she looked visibly upset in the in the same way that tony was upset when bruce brings up steve and i'm like oh we're not talking Mm -hmm. right now yeah and the <laughs> my grain of sand, I guess, is whenever she blips back, she's I she's one of her first questions is I've got to find Natasha and let her know I'm okay. It feels like an a make amends sort of let her know okay I'm okay and not necessarily oh she's been gone for five years kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. a, it's a small stretch, a bit of a grain of sand, but yeah. I just wanted to put that on the record for now. Yeah. No, it'd be and I'd be really curious if we get to find that out. Yeah. And I'm yeah. just thinking like potential Black Widow sequel where Yelena is the protagonist and maybe, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I could take a series of Yelena hunting down other Black Widows and trying to free them. I could take that as a Disney Plus series. I, I could too. It is more Florence Pugh is, is always a good answer. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to be a good wrap up for the girls night important topic which we can go ahead and move into the next one called putting ronin to rest now a big chunk of this episode is 
multiple characters dealing with the ramifications of Ronin. So you have Clint, who is making his plans to meet with Maya and to settle this once for all. We have Maya, who has been in contact with Kazi as they're making their plans towards this final confrontation, as well as Kate, who has had a lot of... of gathering her focus in this episode to also meet up at that final confrontation. Um, so starting with me this time, uh, I think I want to circle in on that scene with the Avengers Memorial where Clint is just openly talking to Natasha and revealing how lost he feels right now. And specifically, the way that it goes into that scene where Clint removes his earpiece and you can hear how isolated it becomes, yet he's still in an open place. To me, that is the intimacy while being out in the open, which feels like character growth on Clint's part. He's finally opening up in a way that is visibly shown in the show, and I really appreciated the way this show handled that. Yeah. You know what I found interesting about that? Um, Two things. A, I like what you just said there, because I agree with you. Just the way, like, he was able to get that quiet moment, take out his earpiece, you know, the earpiece, the the hearing aid and all that. But for some reason, what stood out to me there was it's a plaque saying this is where they first got together, right? The events in New York, we've seen people, thank you for saving the city, free dinner, selfies, all that kind of thing. And this is the place where it happened and memorializing it and one of them standing there and nobody noticed. Yeah. And he was wearing the for hood. some reason, yeah, he was wearing the hood, but it was like, <laughs> you know, I mean, Hawkeye in the hood, cap in the cap, but no, like nobody noticed. Like we're starting to let, like it, it, I mean, what's the taglines a lot of time that comes up like from Texas, remember the Alamo, right. Or, you know, nine 11, never forget and those types of things. Uh, but it was interesting. And I was wondering how much of that was a, a slight commentary on you have all this hero worship building up, but when you get to the actual place and the actual person's there, it's just kind of meh. That's what struck me even more so about this scene. It's like you were able to like stand there without other people touristy looking at it and recognizing and all there. And I realized that you couldn't do that. There's like an efficiency thing and storytelling thing that, that you couldn't do that. So I don't think it was necessarily a commentary on society, but it man for me it felt like it. And I, and I'm so glad you shared that read because I don't I don't think that is the focus of that scene, but that's what's great about art, right? Like you you read into it profound things and I really like the way that you have brought that up. So because I can't go more than two seconds without making a joke, it also could be a commentary on how bad the MCU is at secret identities. Right. <laughs> you know, well, when you have people going around having like Thanos was right in places and Thanos was right mugs, you know, for, I, I, I can imagine somewhere there are people in this MCU world who, you know, Vulture is kind of an example of this, of like, hey, we had this job and the government came and took it away and these people made the mess and now they're getting paid to clean up clean it up, you know, is the line. And you had the Department of uh, Damage Control. And it makes sense, right? You don't want that kind of stuff in the hands of just anybody, right? Uh, we saw what happens in in um, Homecoming. But 
so I can imagine people being upset still and uh, more government and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. It's interesting that that's where my brain took it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for yeah. such, again, a heartfelt moment of vulnerability, vulnerability. Yeah. Well, I, I have one more thing to say about this and that'll take us into the next section. I want to talk about within this topic, but you know, I mean, it's been clear throughout the entirety of the series, how important Natasha was to Clint and how lost he's been since he has, you know, dealt with missing Natasha to have him openly state that he wants to ask her for forgiveness for what he's about to do and how he's been trying so hard to earn what she gave him. It is so hard to have him wrestle with that survivor's guilt just out in the open like this. Like, mm-hmm. You know, I, I mentioned in the previous topic, how Yelena's is asking the right questions. I mentioned in the pre-spoiler topic, how I feel like a certain character's past is not getting the attention I would like, but at least right here in this moment, Clint is, is, so broken and i i feel so bad for him right here as he's trying to figure out what to do yeah and yeah and as far as transitioning into the next place i want to go to you know i talked about how he takes his earpiece out and you get that isolating feeling because all you hear is him the camera also has the focus purely on hawkeye and everything else is kind of blurry in the background Whenever we go away from this scene and he walks away with his hood up, it's still blurry. And we come into Kate's room. That's also blurry until she gets into center frame of the camera. And I really appreciate they were how they did that quiet reflection on into her scene as well. And you know what's so wonderful about that and that transition? What's that up? is a That is a moment. And we've been critical about this and we've been called out on it. That's a moment that in other MCU shows, they've... They didn't let it linger. They didn't let you have that emotional moment because they threw in a quick quip or a joke. Whereas in this one, they did let it sit. Right. They let it sit. Like they they understood what was going on. And again, it's unfair to put it that way to some of the others, I guess. But it's like I could easily imagine a, a draft where somebody is like, standing next to him and Hawkeye doesn't realize it because of his hearing aids out and then make some kind of comment back, you know, or tap on his shoulder or, you know, something. Yeah. Um, and it was like, no, you had an emotional moment. You let our character have an emotional moment. You let us feel it. You transition, as you said, transition out into our other character, main character who is having their, you know, emotional moment. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. This feels adjacent to what you said, but I want to read directly from my note in context to the scene in Kate's room as she is looking over her accolades. I really enjoy this scene because it's a quiet, reflective moment that once again trusts the audience. Um, I think that's in line with letting the emotion sit. I, 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 I'm glad you brought it up and framed it that way because that is something definitely to praise here as it is a common problem for the MCU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why this scene, I think, stands out so much to me is we haven't discussed it yet, and I know we'll get to it later, but the episode opens up with Eleanor being understandably concerned about Kate. And she has that heartfelt moment where she goes through explaining to her, like, 
hey, sometimes your life doesn't go the way you expected and it takes you on paths that are, are winding, but it's not any less valid of a life. Like it's just different than what you wanted. And to have that scene and then have that scene where Yelena is mentioning, you know, nice words only mean so much. It's what you do that defines you. I like that it has Kate here in her room looking at her trophies and seeing all the accolades, all the history, all the the pageantry, and then it pans up to that first bow that she ever had because it feels like to me the way that I read it is Kate realizing that beneath the success, the core of who Kate is is wanting to help people, and she doesn't have to be a superhero to do that. It is full circle back to the conversation which she had with her dad and full circle to Clint, to Wanda, you step out that door, you're an Avenger. And so that's mm-hmm. what I got from that quiet, reflective moment with Kate. Oh, yeah. Well, because there's a willingness, like, I think that's what she's understanding is like, I wanted to be them and that's them on that pedestal. And through the show, we're seeing, we're seeing Kate slowly getting Hawkeye off that pedestal and becoming human to her. And... He genuinely, you know, from her perspective, I could, you know, we could have a Elena perspective, I guess, up to the moment too. Genuinely wants to help people. This is what I do. I'm not a role model. This is my job. This is what I do. I help people. I want to help people. And it's rough life. Um, you know, we see that that conversation in the other episode, and he even puts his head down when she doesn't quite get it, you know. Um, and she still doesn't quite get it. Like it's something I had forgot to mention when, when Yelena and Kate are talking, Kate almost verbatim kind of paraphrases Hawkeye about the things, things that he had to face and the sacrifices and the losses. You know, while she's right, there's still like a parodying of his words, you know, or in Yelena's words, they're nice words, right? But you, mm-hmm. you don't really know what you're talking about. You haven't done that. You haven't had to make those kind of sacrifices and choices the way he had or Yelena's had. Um, and and so there's an interesting thing in, in terms, again, breaking it down of like, oh, I yeah, I know. But you really don't. You're just parroting those words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like the way that you frame that as just parroting what Clint said, because that is specifically why I referred to it as in theory, demonstrating what she has learned from Clint, but she has not lived it, like you said. And to further cement that, I like how after she's gotten her resolution moment where she looks up to that bow and decides that she is going to let what she does define her, she's right back to being the Kate Bishop we know by leaving a million messages on Clint's uh, voicemail. And specifically that one scene where she's like, okay, I know I messed up, but I'm learning. And she flicks the quarter and it breaks glass quintessential Kate Bishop moment. And I love it. Yes. That whole sequence was great. Um, Yeah. Because that's what the 18 year old, I mean, the 22 year old (laughs) (laughs) would do like, like that's what they would do. You know, now having said that, would I, no, I don't think I would do that. Flick quarters. Um, no, I actually was really, have you been doing it too? I was really tempted to, but I was so afraid that I might actually do it right. And break something. And not like at the level of what they're doing, because I realized, okay, there's some visual effects and something like that. But it was one of those things that like we're like knowing me kind of thing. Something's going to break. That is the most confident I've ever heard somebody be unconfident. (laughs) (laughs) I would be 
be great. So that's why I don't want to do it. <laughs> it's not that it would be great. Like, I don't think I'd be great at it. I would just, I would just like by c- complete bad luck, pull it off. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Like defy the world of physics and like break a mirror or crack a window or like, like I would do something wrong and it'd just be like, so yeah. Next, I, next time we're in person, we're filming ourselves flicking quarters. All right. Hold us to it. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to transition here by saying also in that is the imagining of when I break something doing that by sheer accident and having uh, that's going to be hell in the editing Uh, by sheer (laughs) by sheer accident breaking something because Amity is going to be upset I really really enjoy the way they're showing married life with (laughs) Hawkeye and Laura Uh, because it is right like it's 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 hard to describe it but I'm watching it and I'm like yeah that's there's a level. So in, in one of the classes I teach, I teach a lot about relationships with seniors. Favorite course to teach. I teach it in the summer. I teach it in the, in the spring. And it's interesting, like, the the key word that I, the, the two key words that I always bring up to the whole class is intimacy and vulnerability. Then I really, really try to get it in the kid's head. Again, at an all-boys school. And, like, when I say intimacy, we're not talking physical, you know, we're talking true vulnerable intimacy and opening up of this is me and all my inner demons. And there's no surprises because I've told you everything kind of thing. And, and, and the, and, and Rob brought it up in uh, last week. And so to see that and to see this, this conversation to see the trust, you know, to say like, well, I think you should do this. And she's like, what are you calling me to, you know, you were calling me for permission, you know, and I'm not going to talk you out of it. I trust you. And, and just to show that level of trust in each other is so refreshing to see. And just so identifiable of like, yes, that's what it's like, you know, or, mm-hmm. or that's what it, that's what it's, what it's good. And it's, and it's really working. Cause you know, um, you know, not every day of love you, Amity, and not, and she would say the same thing though, right? Like, and not every day is is roses and wonderful, you know, and and so much of it is realizing you committed to this, and and I'm putting this person first, and and I have to share every, you know, I I have to and I want to share every aspect of my life of in this way, and so to see that um, portrayed in this light is just so awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, th- here now, wanting to respond to you, and then even written in my notes, I have what more can be said about Clinton Laura? Like the way that they have depicted the supportive nature of these two is flawless. Like it yeah. is a wonderful depiction, and the way that you put it, the like, you know, you're not here asking for permission, nor am I here to grant it. I trust your gut. Like that openness between each other is beautiful. Um, and the way it demonstrates, it's like it's not a, a one-way street. Like as much as Laura, as much as Clint is, is trusting Laura to be understanding, I mean, look what Laura knows who the big guy is. Like she, I mean, oh, she yeah. says, 
Jesus. Like she knew what a monumental figure this is. So the two things I want to say is one, that's more of a testament to the openness they have between each other. Two, I will be shocked if we do not get the revelation that she's an agent next episode. Like she, she has experience with this. That's going to be Reed Richards level, not showing up in WandaVision. Yeah. Will I say that? Hmm. Or is it the Ralph Boner? One of them. If, if I could add an amendment to it, because if I could say it would be the level of it not being an important person in WandaVision, because I don't think I was on the Reed Richards train, but they definitely highlighted right. it and then it turned out to be nothing. Right. I, I keep going back to Reed Richards, but you're right. The idea of like, who is this person? Who is this person? And all along it was like, no, it's about the vehicle. And it was like, yeah, cares about the vehicle. Like, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, like what? Not to relitigate that. <laughs> uh, yeah. But like, that's, but I mean, that's, that's the, that's the thing. And so like you give us so many clues and pointing that direction, pointing that direction. Yeah. It's, you know, or go back to WandaVision and, and that special secret surprise that's going to show up and to add fuel to that. It ended up just being, you know, Paul Bettany playing another vision. Um, now I say ended up like it, it was great. I loved it. I loved the the scene of them going at each other. But or I would say yeah, the scene, that sequence, whatever. But but yeah, it's going to be a huge shock. Would it be enough to ruin the the season for me? Probably not. Mm, they've done a lot of work towards that point, and so if we get to the final episode and the watch is not important, I'll be. Probably not everybody's favorite podcast member that week. Okay, okay. Well, here, here's here's the thing. Like, so let's um, let's bring up real quick the the confrontation between Maya and Clint. Okay, okay. And because I asked you and Ellie if because it felt like that's kind of the direction they're setting up. And they're still, I think, in a pay, paying it off in 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 a, in in a way as well. But if Jack becomes the the fall guy, you know, framed as Ronan, would that be satisfying to Clint's story? And they're like, no, I ha- that they have to own up to that, right? Mm-hmm. There has to be something. Well, he did own up to it, but it felt like. In owning up to it, he was really talking and also talking his way out of it. Like, I, was that satisfying? No. And I'm so yeah. glad that you have framed it that way because that was what I was hinting at in my pre-spoiler thought. And and I and I wonder, like, hmm. I, I just wonder, what? did they write themselves not, when I say they, not the Hawkeye writers? overall MCU at large with using Ronan, did they really write them into a super difficult corner of redeeming that character? I think they have written them into a super difficult corner. And just to set the scene, we are at the part where after Clint has dispatched with Maya's goons, I guess you could say, and has left her on her own, he finally confronts her in the Ronan suit. And they have that big exchange back and forth where Clint asserts that she and him are no different. They're both weapons used by other people. And we learn that 
the reason that he killed her father was because of a bad information from an informant. So to circle back to what you were saying, if this is where this leads and this show is trying to absolve Clint's mistake as, oh, it was bad information and not, oh, he was acting under emotional impulses, killing people, mafia, but taking it under his own hands, that is going to be a huge misstep for this show. And for as much work as they've been doing humanizing Clint and showing the different side of him, this feels like like to have it where his answer to this is almost talking down to Maya and not even having an ounce of an apology is very disappointing. Well, and, and I wouldn't say just talking down to Maya. There is an element of because it's the show is Hawkeye and we know him to be a good person, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that and I understand I say that and he's Ronan and, and, and I get all that. Right. But like, that's the, the way it's written, the way they want us to feel about it. I, you know, we're, we're like Kate deep down. He's a good person. And we know that. And he's wrestling with those demons. Cause I have that rage and I was manipulated and I'm a weapon and they point and I was pointed in this direction. We know to believe Hawkeye, but if the show was called Maya, at this point, through Maya's point of view, you don't have a good reason to believe him. And like, like Maya believes him because she's supposed to, and the audience believes him. If that makes sense. Otherwise, mm-hmm. like he just said, like you're a weapon, you have this rage. that rage can be manipulated and and pointed in a direction. That's what happened to me. He could just be doing that to her, manipulating that rage and pointing it in a different direction. Mm -hmm. Like that's, you know, I, I, we, that's the thing. We know Clint's not doing that, but I don't know what, like, am I, was I'm watching this? Was that as, was that as convincing enough to say it to, to, for Maya? Um, you know, as the show goes, it was like she starts to check it out. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't. Well, it wasn't immediately because she's still attacked, right? Right. But it's in the getaway where, where because like like if she didn't have that doubt and didn't believe uh, Clint, probably wouldn't even have asked. Hey, why weren't you there? Yeah. You start you in that interaction, you see she's had internal doubts and it's not until Clint gives that final piece that she starts to pick at it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, uh, I, the, I'm worried, man. I really don't want the show to frame it as though Clint's biggest mistake was killing her father and not that other stuff. And, and I, the thing that keeps pulling me back, I don't think they would have written Clint saying, like, I'm not a hero. I have this dark past if it wasn't going to be explored. But I don't know how they're going to pull this off in the finale when it really felt like this should have been the episode for Clint to start owning up to it instead of sliding that fault of, like, hey, we were just used and manipulated. Just some sort of empathy between Clint yeah. and Maya, I think, would have gone a little a long way. It does make me wonder... 
A, does Clint Barton make it out of the series? And is this a true passing on of the mantle of Hawkeye to Kate Bishop? And continued training under Yelena? Or is it a passing of the mantle, still a passing of the mantle, but a retirement? Like, he's still alive, but, like, he's, he's like, Cap, alive, retired, and we don't intend to see him again. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's... I'm trying to imagine how they're going to end this. If I can go out on that limb with you, I'll ask you this one. At the rate this show's going, do you see Clint getting back home to his family for Christmas? Which I know sounds trivial, but that's a huge point of his yes. arc within the show so far. Yes. You think he does? Oh, uh, Ken, after the first week and two episodes came out, I, I never said this on pod and I was kind of saving it till we get to, to, to this point. They're going to use they're You're going to end on him making it home. Like as much as I asked about the question of death, I don't actually think Hawkeye is going to die. <laughs> you know, it, it was more opposing that of like, what is it sad? You know, is that what's going to be satisfactory for Ronan? Like a complete ultimate sacrifice, you know, but no, cause they're going to use the, the Christmas song. I'll be home for Christmas and he's going to make it. <laughs> and that and I, that's what Ken said and I completely agree he's like oh they're, they're, they're holding on to that song for this mm-hmm. no like I honestly think that we won't see Clint Barton again until season two and because in the comic and I know we don't dabble too much in the comics but I know that similar to an old man Logan run they kind of had an old man Hawkeye type run and you'll probably see something similar to that in season two and that will probably be the end of Jeremy Renner in MCU. Okay. Because that, that would be a good way of... Because I, I think they did a really good job of of how they sent Cap off. And I think this is a really good way to, to, to send off that character. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You, you have framed this, especially with your pre-spoiler thoughts, that this is your favorite Disney Plus show. Yeah. I think if this show manages to pull off what we're talking about here, finding a satisfying conclusion to the finale, I think it will bump its way up for me uh, into that Disney, that favorite Disney Plus show because I don't know how they're going to do it. But again, what I said with the pre-spoiler thought, I'm still on for the ride. I know they've, they've handled it so far. So this one little hiccup, I'm going to trust them to find a way to resolve it in that finale. And I'm excited yeah. to see where it goes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it feels like we're coming to a close here in this important topic. Uh, We've danced around it a little bit, but I want to take some time to spotlight it fully. Uh, We have the scenes within this episode where Maya and Kazi are really examining the strength of the relationship that they have within this tracksuit mafia gang. Uh, It starts with them tending to Maya's wound in the beginning, and then, like we said, questioning why Kazi wasn't there the day that Maya's father was killed. Um, was there anything that stood out to you there, Jude? Um, man, I, as I was listening to you, something just popped up. So we know from the from episode three, Kate asked, and it was so funny, Amity watched it and asked, it was like, what's up between the two of them? And then Kate, you know, what did you catch the tension between them? If Kazi is the informant, and that's the way it's looking like they're going to go, it makes sense that Kazi would have 
this level of care for Maya out of, again, out of guilt. Like, you don't have a father now because of me. So this, I'm going to try to fulfill that role to certain, to, to whatever degree I can. And, and I'm wondering if that's what we're seeing. Uh, I do like how he's cleaning the wounds and he's like, you know, you don't have to pretend it doesn't hurt. And she's like, ow, it hurts. There, I shared my feelings. Um, and her facial expressions and the way she did it, you could just tell the anger still. <laughs> just, just so, so well, so awesome. Just the facial expressions and everything. And it and it's so funny, just my bubble of... Because again, we've said this before, she's she's not just playing a deaf person she's deaf in real life and so i'm imagining that that communication so much of the the her communication for her is through facial expressions with you know maybe how forceful the hand motions are with the with the american sign language and and, and stuff like that and so i find it i catch myself saying oh it's so well acted which it was but it's also probably very natural for for her if that makes sense like the person but i i love that interaction because you also have you see this vulnerable this one-on-one conversation here and one having this hard shell maya and not really wanting to be vulnerable and you had the one-on-one with eleanor and kate and there's this vulnerability between mother and daughter you had this vulnerability between Hawkeye and and Grills. Um, you had this vulnerability as well between Kate and Yelena. You know, but Maya still had that that hard shell. Uh, so I, I found that that interesting. Just just you see all those one on ones and different emotional responses. I'm so glad you framed it that way because I didn't think about the ways. Like, because I, I talked about the one with Clint where he was being vulnerable out in the open talking to the plaque, uh, you know, the moment with Kate and Yelena as they were going back and forth, but the hard shell that Maya still struggling with. I'm glad you spotlighted that way, specifically because the note that I did have is I love how this episode has shown two different people so close to getting the revenge they thought they needed, but one perspective shift from another character is enough mm-hmm. to send them on a different trajectory. So yeah. with Yelena, it was Kate highlighting, hey, did you ever think about who paid you? And that's how we get the confirmation about Eleanor being the one to hire Yelena. And with Maya, it's Clint giving that information about how he was tipped off by somebody from the inside that she's starting to finally realize the strained relationship with Kazi. And one more thing to add, and why I'm so glad you illuminated it the way you did, I like your read about this potential guilt that he's feeling and why he's been there for Maya, because the way that I took it at first is we've seen multiple references to Kazi being the number two to Maya's father. So I wonder how much of it was a power play of him wanting to be in charge, which would illuminate why he threw it at her face of her dad would never do what she's doing and leading these people. Oh, yeah, that's a good catch. So 
and who's in charge you are yeah yeah there's some animosity there so there's both guilt and animosity and i'm just i'm not entirely sure how to read it and if you pair that with one of the moments in the first episode i like i'm still confused as to who wanted to get that watch so badly because i think in order to need that watch you have to know the information within and so i don't want to go down that rabbit hole yet but if you remember kazi was there and whenever kate gets away he pulls his mask off and he's looking at her like oh no this just became a big problem kind of thing yeah so yeah no that's a good point who did maya want the watch or did kingpin want the watch mm-hmm because I, I I set this up poorly last week with Rob, but the I tried to say that because Maya had the note with all of Clint's family and also knowing she's with the tracksuit mafia who was trying to get the watch in episode one, has she known Clint is is Ronan far longer than she's let on? But if this is a Kazi operation and he was the one trying to get the watch, I think that would explain the disconnect a little bit for me. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah. he's trying to play cover up. Yeah. Well, right. And he's, he's like, we'll do this loose ends. Um, he probably even pitched it to Kingpin or told Kingpin that, Hey, I can do this easy and quiet. Get in, get the watch get the location and be done, you know? Hmm. That's all very thin, very flimsy. So I'm curious. Yeah. It's, it gets weird because you also have Eleanor who comes into play being associated. So, yeah. But again, why, like if he stopped, right. And he's, I'm in retirement basically. Why are you doing something to bring him out? What, what's the benefit of wanting to kill him and the family? You know what I mean? Um, simply having information, you're not going. You're not trying to get to them to rehire them to kill because you have Yelena, right? You just hired Yelena, um, and she's quite talented. Um, <laughs> so completing the mission will not be difficult. Yeah. So huh. yeah. So that's. So I'm with you. There's got to be a reason, and kind of thinking that through. But even that feels a little flimsy. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, especially for this show, because I feel like everything's been really story-wise. I feel like everything's been really tight and really well done. Yeah, and so I don't think that that's so. I I don't expect it to be that. But but you're right. We got to figure out because that that's the thing is I think the watch is the real MacGuffin, and the Ronin suit is like the side MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. So imagine this. Imagine that you you could do this whole show, never have Kate go downstairs and put on the Ronin suit, and then they get the watch. And we can find a way to get Hawkeye involved. And, oh, this, we got to go get the watch. And it works, right? And you get your Hawkeye story. The benefit of the Ronin suit is you got to find a way to pair... Yeah, he needs to wrestle with you know past demons, but you got to find a way to pair him with Bishop, and the suit's a good way to do that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm like I feel like the watch is the real MacGuffin because we've solved the the suit. The suit's back to to Hawkeye. He needs to make amends. 
you know, whether or not that's the only amends he just made in this episode or not is the question, but otherwise, you know, the, the unresolved one, the, the one that's taken us into the finale is the watch. Yeah. Colt. Why was it so important to the tracksuit? Well, cause it's, it's going to lead him to Colson. <laughs> he wore Rolexes. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know what? Agents I, of let's Shield put a, is canon. <laughs> well, let's put a pin on that and let's shift gears into something that has officially been recanonized. That is going to take us into our final topic, which is Eleanor Bishop's associates. So we've got a few scenes where Eleanor is consoling Kate in the beginning of the scene where she is upset by being turned away from Clint. Uh, we have another scene where Eleanor is finally where Eleanor has called the comps on Jack, who is being arrested. And finally, the final scene where Yelena has investigated Eleanor and has let Kate know that Eleanor is associating with the kingpin himself, Wilson Fisk, Vincent Donofrio. So, Jude, where would you like to start? I want to start with the hug. Okay. The hug between Eleanor and Kate when she first walks in. And and the, the hug in particular is where Eleanor asks, and it's selfish. It's a selfish ask. But it's also a selfless ask. It, it's I love the dual nature of this because because we had it pointed out of it wasn't leave my daughter alone. It was drop this case, um, and and you know something's going on with Eleanor. And the question was, does Clint think you're a superhero? And she's like, no, and I don't either. And it was heartbreaking for me because she's sad in this. I see my kid, my daughter physically hurt but she also sees her daughter emotionally hurt this idol that she's always had and the response of like no he doesn't see me as a hero and i no longer see myself as a hero you know and be able to show you know in her face the that sympathy and empathy for for her daughter in that moment of like i've met my hero and he doesn't think of me what I hope he would. And and just that heartbreak, it was, it was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. For everything that I think you've highlighted with Kate, which is wonderful, I think it's also a testament to Vera Farmiga as an actress, as oh, an actor, yeah. be, because on the one hand, the advice she gives is great. The, you know, sometimes your life goes in a direction you didn't anticipate, and that's totally fine. It's still a, a proud life. But because of our suspicion of who she actually is, it is so villainous. Yeah. And especially the way that once Kate starts letting on about how much she knows about the Sloan Corporation, where she's like, okay, I'll look into it. It's just like, it, another great job on the MCU's part. If this does turn out to be the case that she's the antagonist, it is not a completely one-dimensional villain. There is actual care in the way Eleanor feels about Kate, but it does not supersede the plans that she has as a potential antagonist. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is like you said, it's great advice. Hey, sometimes things don't go right 
and it's a weird path and that's okay. And like, it's great advice, but it's also, like you said, it's, it's this manipulative advice to get a, it's, it's, it's both, right? It's like this manipulative advice to try to push you away from this, from a, I care about you as a mom and I don't want you to get hurt. I care about my stuff and I don't want you to be the one to figure it out. But it's also the advice Kate needed to hear in order to get that overconfidence back and call up Hawkeye, you know? (laughs) It's like it backfires. Yeah. You know, I have a a slim theory here, so it's not strong enough for me to want to put it in the prediction section, but... The there's a line in particular where Eleanor says, I know exactly who you are. And she's talking about in reference of how much admiration she has for Kate and and the way that she's watched her grown up. I really again, if if she is the antagonist, I wonder how much the training and the accolades and the pushing her into this was Eleanor training Kate to take her under her wing. And that could be the path that she saw because she was very adamant about like after she got out of college, she would go work at Bishop Security. I wonder how much that was the path that she was paving for her daughter. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's so interesting, kids and parents and being a teacher, seeing the kids and and, and also being a parent. It's a little bit about me, right? My undergrad is in radio, television, film. Uh, I have an associate's degree in video production. Like, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to uh, specialize in visual effects. Love of Star Wars, all of that. My dad, his undergrad is in communications, and he worked at a TV station. I worked at a TV station. He owned his own video production company in the 70s when the technology was new. It's not something that I intentionally did because he did. It just kind of happened. I have a master's degree in theology. He has a master's degree in theology. It's really weird, but it happens. And I see that so much with my students of like, I wasn't groomed for it. I just did it. And, and I see that in my students and some that are like, yeah, my parents want me to be this. I don't want to be that. My, I, my dad or my mom is this, and that looks like fun. And I, so I'm going to do it. And, and just how much of us go in that way not even intentionally or groomed wise, so to speak, the way we were saying you were saying here, but we end up in there. A friend of mine, a teacher and went to college for, she went to college for early childhood development stuff. Um, that's what her dad was interested in, in the seventies, early childhood development stuff, <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's, it's just fascinating there. Um, Amity's a teacher. I'm a teacher. All three of my kids have contemplated becoming teachers. Um, and you see that with teacher families. And it literally, teacher families. It's just like, oh, yeah, my mom was a teacher. My aunt was a teacher. Like, like, the way I ended up in it is not like I have a whole lot of teachers in my family that uh, older than me. My uncle is one. But, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting there um, that we end up in that path. Um, so, yeah. You know, and, again, it's a very similar path. She wants to be a superhero. It's, she wants to help people. I mean, don't know exactly what Bishop Security's into, but it's a form of that kind of line of work. Mm-hmm. It's not that far off. 
So, so yeah, it's, I, I'm glad you, you mentioned that of that, that this is the path she had in mind. And you had that advice of like, the path doesn't always end up where we think it's going to go, but it still a lot of times doesn't end up that far away either. Mm-hmm. It's, it really is interesting how we are in the penultimate episode and we still have so much to unravel. And I still kind of trust the the series to do it. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm speaking specifically, I don't know what they're doing with Jack. He is still confusing me in this episode because we see that he gets arrested in this one, but he doesn't seem phased by it at all. And I know that you and, and Rob were speculating that he's just the patsy for yeah. Eleanor. Oh, Amity was like, he's a complete creep. He's a creep. He's, it sucks because like, just on a, on a external level, I love the actor so much and I wanted to see him do more. But if we end this series and he's just weird and goofy and a creep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little bummed. So I don't know what they have in store for him. But what I was going to say, it's just, I don't know if I, I'm into the, he's a patsy for Eleanor camp because of the reasons that I laid out in my notes is if we are to believe that Eleanor took out Armand, we know she has no trouble getting rid of someone. So, I mean, if that's what she needed to do with Jack, we could see that she would do it. Um, If she's trying to throw somebody off the scent of her, it feels like pinning it on somebody close to her brings more suspicious eyes closer to her than she would like in my own reading but maybe that's just my own maybe i'm missing something here i just i don't know what they're doing with jack right and so hmm yeah and and, god it's hard to tell it really is hard to tell because there's an element where it's like you i i want to believe jack of like i've never worked a day in my life like what in the world are you talking about and like there's a genuineness that that you could almost see in terms of like, he genuinely means it. Like, hey, I'm going to be out of this very quickly. Not mm-hmm. from a like, you know, twirl my mustache. I can get out of any of these things kind of way. But like, literally, they got the wrong person. They don't know what they're doing. This will not take long. I will probably be rich now after I suited the department. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. like, I'm obviously being framed. Yeah. Like, like, don't worry. Um, he even understands that she called the police. Right. <laughs> Right. And so, and so is it, is it that or is it, man, I don't know. Um, <laughs> He's confusing. And you know what I find is so funny is that we, I talked about how amazing it was to see this. This is the, the best way I know how to put it with, with Clint and Laura. What you see is all substance all intimacy and vulnerability that you hope to see and want out of your, out of a marriage. Right. And what you see in, you know, Eleanor and Jack is just the, the, the imaginary, the, the dancing and the romance and stuff. And that's not what a relationship is and a marriage is. You know, um, and and so it's it's interesting to see those two relationships, you know, and just how drastically different they are. Mm-hmm. It's like Eleanor and Jack is the infatuation 
and Clint and Laura is the work, like the actual work of a relationship. Yeah. Oh, it, I mean, to put it in the terms of what I teach in my class is be like Jack and Eleanor, 100% right on infatuation is the, is the word I'd use. And it's this, you know, false cultural notions of, of love and romantic love that we mythologize and, and, and that's just ultimately this fantasy. Whereas Laura and Clint is, is real authentic love that gets past infatuation and is gone down to the depths of, of the, of our worst selves and an acceptance of that and, and growing into, you know, genuinely putting each other first. Um, and so, yeah, it's really, really, I, I just can't say enough of how much I love seeing it. And it's such short scenes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, time will tell uh, where we end up with Jack. Uh, but I, I thought it was important to bring this up here so we can try and work this out as we move our way into the finale. But still think elephant in the <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to that one. All right. I mean, I I you know I'm I'm not supportive of it, but it's not like I got something to put forth. I don't know what they're doing with it. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. But I think we got one more elephant in the room. All right, and that what's up? Said all right. I'm ready for it. Wilson Fisk is back into the fold. How do you feel about the way they did it? I like it and I don't like it. Okay. Um, I thought it was a good way to do it because there's still this slow roll. Like it's better to do it through the picture than all of a sudden like you see Eleanor and Fisk have a conversation, you know, or the WandaVision version where you see the end credits, them have a conversation where it's like, what? Why, you know, and you know what I'm talking about, those crazy in, in tags. It's like, anyways, but in a weird way, I think it undercut Kate and her emotional response. Like, cause we're talking about Fisk, but Kate just also had this bombshell dropped on her of like, oh yeah, I figured out who hired me to kill Clint. It was Eleanor, your mom. I just thought you should know. Like, that's a huge bombshell dropped on Kate Bishop. And mm-hmm we're talking about Fisk and again, so that's, that's, that's where I like had a problem with it, you know? Um, and also again, the question of was this the best, as as much as I love it, as much as I'm glad to see. And yes, it is Vincent D'Onofrio. Did I say that right, Trey? You did. Okay. Um, <laughs> tried, uh, <laughs> <laughs> go to the backlog and why, and, and listen to our review of daredevil, this is episode if I by may, episode, and if I may, listen how right we were, oh, <laughs> thanks to you. Yeah, um, <laughs> but Trey trying to pronounce the last name of Vincent. But no, like it's it, it kind of undercuts that moment. Like that's a huge moment. Mm-hmm. She's one of our main characters, and we're all excited about Fisk. Mm-hmm. And she just found out her mom is a baddie. So. I, I, as much as I like it for the purposes of the story, I don't know if it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I completely see your point because I think it is 
Very true. The top, the talk of everything regarding this episode is Wilson Fisk. And it should be more about that revelation for Kate. The only pushback that I have is for as much as this show is about Clint and Kate, the revelation of the mom is the bombshell for Kate. The revelation of Wilson Fisk is the bombshell for Clint because the way he phrases that, this is the person I've been worried about the entire time. Now, Kate's feels more authentic because we've seen the work. Clint, this is recontextualizing a, a prior relationship that we have not seen in the MCU so far. Right. So even my weak defense isn't really much of a defense. No. Um, okay. So let's let's just rewrite because that's what we do here on MCU Needs to of Know. Of course. Um, if we're recontextualizing the Clint relationship, and I would not be shocked to see this happen, if we see a flashback of Clint Ronan and Kingpin interacting verbally. Mm-hmm. I feel like the better way to have done it would, because we don't get the picture reveal, right? Like we get the texts of Elena Bishop. I just wanted you to know, Kate hands the phone over and Hawkeye says, that's the guy I've been worried about. Don't show us the picture. Mm-hmm. Come back to a flashback of Ronan and the big guy. And you don't even have to show us the big guy there. Just give us his voice. You can still hang on to a little bit of suspense on that reveal right here. Especially if we're all, if we know that's where they're going. And I mean, I even tweeted it. I get because like that it wasn't going to be there. I don't think I articulated it well as on the, on the tweet. Cause you know, Twitter's not the best place to go articulate things. Um, <laughs> you know, complex thought, not this is complex, but you know what I mean? Uh, something that goes beyond 142 characters. Is it still 142? Um, 240. Is it 240? Yeah. I really, I, again, to show you how little I use Twitter. Um, if it wasn't for the pod, I would barely be on there. Um, 280, my bad. Whatever. <laughs> but yeah, like, that was my concern of, now, or, or what my thought process of saying, like, why it's not going to be Fisk is because this is a story about Hawkeye and Kate Bishop. Mm-hmm. And, and are they going to try, are they going to do something that's going to take away from that and get people more excited about something else and what's to come rather than the show we're watching? Mm-hmm. And I think I think that they that was a that was a misstep as I think about it of showing the picture here. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me to get that flashback later, but that would give that recontextualization. That would give us a a reason why of like why Clint knows this person more so than we realize, and that fear. You know what? Maybe it's even a flashback of Kingpin and Laura. Wow from like her old days and she got out and is hidden and that's why they need the watch and the watch is so important you know um and that would be definitely a retextualization but that'd be the first time we see kingpin you know you come back and oh there's kingpin Woo, we're all excited and he's talking directly to the camera and then when you cut for that shot reverse shot you don't see barton you see laura and, you, and then you have a date, and it's like, oh, crap, it's 2006. Mm-hmm. You know, 
And then you cut back to the present, back to Laura and another phone call with Clint or something. Like, like to me, that's the way you bring in and you, and you tie all those together with, mm-hmm. without undercutting Kate's bombshell right there. Yeah. Kevin Feige, so, I'm available. <laughs> well, I, I don't think you had to look further than my prediction last week where I said, I think it was last week, I said we would get definitive proof that it is Vincent D'Onofrio's Wilson Fisk before the series end, but we wouldn't see more than what we saw in episode three. So I think I'm I'm there with you in the way that I didn't want it to take away from the story. Um, but I, I, I've had the feeling that uncle was Fisk from that moment. Um, I am shocked that they gave us as much as they did by showing us that picture, which I know mm-hmm. some have argued like, oh, it's still blurry, but Vincent D'Onofrio's name is in the credits. Yeah, I know. Um, like it is. Yeah, it's, it's him. So I, I can see where you're at with wanting to hold on to that just a little bit longer. Yeah. But to speak about it this way, like now that it has happened, the way that they have done it from his perspective, whether it's soft reboot, hard reboot, or a continuation of the Netflix character, the fact that they have been able to reinvigorate the impact of that character into this continuity, I think is astounding. Because, mm-hmm. again, taking away from Kate's moment, but it is a huge moment. And... Uh, to have done that with so little, I think, is impressive. Yeah. Now, having watched, and I'm not. This is. I promise, this is not a dig at you. Having watched all the Netflix Daredevil episodes, I don't think I would want this to be a continuation of that, and I'd rather this be a soft reboot. Mm-hmm. Only, only because, and who knows? Uh, again, there's a reason why Kevin Feige, Superfan, hasn't hired me yet, but. It just feels like if they try to do a continuation of that, not even of like, oh, this is shows grittier than the MCU wants kind of thing, just where the story leaves off. There would be a lot of explaining of how do you get from A to B mm-hmm. that I don't know if you want to wrestle with. And then I can't imagine higher up than Kevin Feige at Disney. They're like, yeah, let's, you know write characters in in such a way that's going to encourage people to go sign on to Netflix. Right. So that's why I say soft reboot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, unless you got any more, that's going to wrap up this important topic. Yeah, let's... Stray thoughts. I'm a stray thought person. <laughs> All right, well, what are your stray thoughts for this episode? Very MCU, very Marvel of them. New outfits reveal uh, the last episode. Um, which is fitting. It should be revealed when they're finally back together again. Uh, we talked about this a little bit, but I want to read it directly from my notes. Uh, is Jack a doofus or a criminal mastermind? <laughs> um, not sure. <laughs> you know, maybe both. Again, I'm not a fan of the Sriracha sauce. <laughs> I want to give out the shout out to Ken because he did mention he, the love, you know, the, again, they're killing it with the music. And just the the Christmas in Hollis with Run DMC, all you know. But the Charlie Brown song, Christmas Time, you know. And Ken mentioned to me that he liked how Hawkeye was with his head down and kind of beaten down, just the way they would use that in rest of development. Anytime you see the sulking walking away, um, uh-huh. you know. And so that was a really cool moment there. 
And of course, the my dad, he says it's good for you line. Like I got a big chuckle out of that, you know, knowing <laughs> having seen the Red Guardian. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. those uh, those are my straight thoughts. You, you know, I'm going to play off that one. I'm so glad you ended with that one because I did talk about how I saw a little bit of Alexi's influence and Yelena, but I forgot to use that. The My daddy says it's good for you. I think there is some connect, a hint to a connection there because it's been, what, eight, nine years yeah. since Black Widow. Hopefully they've stayed in touch. Even if, like Alexi definitely has some character growth, but the idea of them still being together makes me happy and it's through that line. Yeah. Could be nothing. Could be something, but it's worth noting that Yelena says she knew Kate when she risked her life to save Lucky the pizza dog. So how long has Yelena been on Kate's trail? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm glad you brought back the uh, the Christmas song, the sad Christmas song with Charlie Brown of, of Clint as he's walking dejected to Grills' apartment. That was wonderfully done. And importantly, more importantly in that scene, he brought the bag back. For that other LARPer. So I'm glad he was true to his word. Yeah. I think that the person with the bag in the comics was a character that went by the name Bombshell. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's really cool. Yeah. Nice little nod there. I'm hoping Grills stays on like he's... And I'm not. I'm so torn with Grills. Man, I'm so glad you say that because the more we learn about Grills the more I wish they would have found another way for him to get the suit because he is such a great yeah. character. He's so sincere. He's so kind. He's cool. He's a firefighter. He's a LARPer. He bakes terrible snickerdoodles. But I just, it it hangs over him that he stole a piece of the crime scene. Like, I think that's a, a fumbling on the show's part. You know what? In some ways, I, I thought that in the very beginning because this whole, again, what's this portrayal of first responders you know, the the whole, like, really, is a New York cop going to get the evidence back? You know, like, basically theft for Hawkeye? The more I think about it, the answer is yes on both cases. And, and the only reason why I say that is there's this element of, like, I don't remember if I've already said this on pod once or not, but it was like me and my stepbrother were talking over Thanksgiving, and he was just like, you know, if you asked me what I wanted to do when I was in high school, I, w- I would I'd have your typical answer because you're talking about my students and where we went to, where he and I went to college and those things. And it would be your typical answer. Like, I, I want to, he's a lawyer or I want to be a doctor. I want to be this or that. You know, he goes, but now, and he's in his 30s, you know, and he's like, but now if you ask me, like, I'd answer that question very differently. He'd be like, yeah, I'm a lawyer, but I just, that's my job. He's like, I want to travel. You know, and and yeah, like I I'm a teacher. I love teaching. I love the interaction with my students. But it's still my job. And if you ask me, what do you want to do? Is like, there's some traveling I want to do. Um, the podcasting is one of the things that I'm getting to do that I want to do. You know, uh, and we and we have it's a completely different answer, right? Because like I'm willing to do a. I'm lucky that I get to do teach. But overall, like I'm going to do a job to get to do the things I really want to do. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and and so in in that way, it very much humanizes uh, grills and bombshell of in the sense of like, like yeah, this is their job and it's an important job and they probably love it to a certain degree and love the people they work with. 
but just like all the rest of us, it's a job and, and there's things about our job that sucks and, and we do it cause we get a paycheck. So we get to go LARPing and get to go podcasting and get to go, you know, watch Spider-Man the next day at 10 a.m. <laughs> like, like that's what, that, you know what I mean? Uh, and uh-huh. so, and so in that sense, the more I thought about it, it's like, no, that's actually, you're right. It is a downer in terms of like, overall, how are you portraying this group of people? But you're also very much humanizing this group of people, which I'm wondering how many of them watch the show and think and and don't like it and how many of them watch the show and really identify with it. Mm-hmm. Well, for the record, I don't have any issue with the LARPing. It was just taking the suit from like, no, no, the no, job no, but site. That, but that's what I meant. The, the, the job site, you know what I mean? And again, it's, it's the theft, but it's, and I get it, but it's just like, like you just came across a really cool suit <laughs> like i don't know how bad of a person we want to make grills out to be if that makes yeah. sense yeah well but it's like it just doesn't it feels like a disconnect i don't think yeah. it, it it weighs on who he is as a good or bad person it's just weird that that was what it feels more like the plot needed it than the character would do it yeah oh, oh that i completely agree with that I completely that's agree what's with. that's but the there, fumble but there is but there is this element of like like it, it does humanize them to a certain degree, and I appreciate that. Oh, okay. All right, so I am going to bend the spoiler zone just a little bit. Tap, you know, ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to hear this. But if you've seen the Spider-Man No Way Home trailers, there's actually a pretty cool connection in this episode where Yelena says the new and improved Statue of Liberty. It's hard to tell in the trailer, but it's definitely a new design within the MCU. So I thought that was fun. A um, couple more. Man, I will never get tired of the way that tracksuit mafia screams whenever there's a close call with an arrow. <laughs> we saw it on the bridge with the USB arrow, and then we saw it again when Clint shot with the note. Two, you know, I mentioned Kate flicking the quarter and then saying, in contrast to her having learned, another great candidate for a quintessential Kate moment, using a rideshare to, es- to escape the fight is perfect. Mm-hmm. And finally... This is such a big moment, but I couldn't find anywhere to put it other than stray thoughts. I love that scene where Clint hands Kate the arrow back. It's oh, yeah. right after the confrontation with Maya, but before they get back to Grills. It's very brief, but a huge payoff to what Rob highlighted last week about our arrows. Yeah. And the thing that I love so much about it is that if Clint is making his way towards opening up more, it doesn't necessarily have to be completely verbal. So him handing that arrow, I think, is one of the biggest thanks he can give to Kate for saving him that night. Yeah, that was fantastic. So glad you brought that up. Yeah. Beautiful scene. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our stray thoughts, which means we can get into our listeners' first takes. So... Starting with Ken on Twitter, this one reads, Less action this time, but the brilliant acting shined. The plot is coming together, and two more episodes is definitely not enough. That in-credit song is perfect. Hashtag release more episodes. Yes, and I agree. Down. I think that... Yeah, I think that's the drumbeat we've been having. Like, well, I say we, you. You've been there from day one. I already know I'm going to want two more episodes. So. Yeah. You called it. Yeah. Uh, the next one, Rob Logan, a uh, guest from the previous episode on Twitter says, we were right about so many things. Um, go back and listen. He is correct. We were right about so many things. <laughs> 100%. And I'll be completely honest because I, I organize these for the outline whenever I read this. 
I didn't know if this one counted as a listener's first take, but I'm totally going to pat ourselves on the back by adding it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, This next one comes in from friend Daniel on Insta, and it reads, Friggin' amazing. But seriously, that was so good. Can't believe the finale is next week. We need two more. Oh, he didn't say friggin'. So he's uh, (laughs) he's clearly, clearly excited about this episode. Yeah. Last one. What the hell? Ben Maddie. And I don't know if I am. And I'm not a professional actor. I don't know if I did the inflection right on what the hell, but I'm with you. It was such a, it was such a, oh my gosh, kind of moment. Yeah. You know, I honestly don't know which way Maddie's going with it, but just the pure emotional, what the hell? Yeah. just makes me so happy. <laughs> I even put on the Instagram, that was my favorite response so far. Yeah. <laughs> You know, this is two weeks in a row that I'm doing a terrible job at the outline because you said that was the last one. We have one more. And this one was from Skullface Project on Insta who commented on the post and said, yes, with a bunch of S's and exclamation marks. Yeah. So uh, another two back-to-back emotional responses with this episode. And this, it's so funny, the, the, the minimal action, but this episode warranted an emotional response. So yeah. good. So good. Mm-hmm. So, so good. Of course, thank you all for for sharing your first takes with this episode. If you're listening and you want to get on this for the finale, uh, you can find our pre-spoiler thoughts on our social media at MCU Need to Know. We post it the day of, if not the day after, uh, to let you know what we thought of the episode without having to wait till Monday. And of course, we'd love to hear what you thought, which is where you can share your first takes that we will read here on the pod. All right. We're wrapping things up here, but before we go, we've got predictions for episode six. Jude, what are your predictions for the season finale of Hawkeye? Um, the end tag is going to be a scroll showing up and turning into Natasha. No. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I I don't know why... Uh, okay, so I'm going to go with this. I think friend Daniel's right. He he messaged us about we're going to get a season two announcement similar to the way it was announced on Loki, but we'll also get an actual in tag. I'm torn. Part of me wants to say we'll get Kingpin and the actual in tag and maybe an interaction with Val, or we're going to get a Moon Knight in tag. Ooh. I'm not sure which one we're going to go with. Um, because it makes sense to give some kind of in tag that's going to propel us into the echo that was announced, but it also makes sense to get it in tag for Moon Knight, which I expect to be the next Disney Plus show to be released. So that's that's kind of why I'm thinking, or maybe it's wishful thinking, but thinking it's going to be something like that. If that happens, I think that'll be the first time the Disney Plus shows have crossed over. Yeah. I don't think we've seen any connectivity between the shows yet. Outside of being just part of the MCU overall. Right. So, cool. So, my predictions for the finale, I got two. This first one, like you said, we talked about it with friend Daniel. I do think we're getting a season two announcement. There's just way too much that needs to be wrapped up that I can't imagine finishes off as a season. And I think we'll get the the second one. But the thing I want to add to it to, to differentiate a little bit, I think... Unlike the subtleties I thought we were going to get of Wilson Fisk, 
I think we will get a subtle tease that Daredevil exists in this universe. Nothing show-stealing like Fisk, but just some confirmation that Char- Charlie Cox, that Matt Murdock is out there running about with this Fisk. No, it's okay. I mean, we know it's going to be Charlie Cox. <laughs> so you can say that. Well, I mean, I mean, Kevin Feige did say if he comes back, it will be Charlie Cox. Right. See, so. my only thing about that, it makes sense that we might get that that tease. Yeah. However, my gut says we'll have already seen him in Spider-Way. Spider-Way? What? And Spider-Man No Way Home? So... Hold up. Never mind. We established that we haven't seen it at this point. I was going to say, if, if that's fair to bring up, but... I know well, it's still a prediction at this. Well, um, again, I mean, sorry, let me clarify this. As of this recording, I have not seen Spider-Man No Way Home. I've just been convinced that he was going to show up in Spider-Man No Way Home going back to when we first started the pod. And I feel like that's going to happen. Okay. So to tease it at the end of a finale, when in, in my prediction, because I haven't seen it as of this recording... It doesn't make sense because we'd already seen him. Okay. I'm mentally going through all that. Yeah, I said it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Time traveling sucks. Don't do it, y'all. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'll do you one better. What if it, again, have not seen the movie at this point. What if it's Matt Murdock and No Way Home and Daredevil and Hawkeye? Who is Foggy? Sorry. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The way we've described timeline so far. (laughs) You know what? I'll be honest. Like, if Foggy shows up as well in any of these, that will probably make my day more so than than, than Charlie Cox and Murdoch. Oh, man. Well, you know what? I think our excitement for Spider-Man is getting the better of us again. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. You know, if you want to continue the conversation of Hawkeye, or if you're excited about Spider-Man by the time this episode drops, you can always reach us at MC You Need to Know on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, It's a great place to connect with us. Like I said, you can get our pre-spoiler thoughts. You can help vote on what we title our episodes based off quotes from the show. Uh, And you can get extra content that does not make it into the final cut of this episode. So if you like what we do and you want to have a more active role... Go ahead and follow us on those social sites. Mm-hmm. Also, be sure to scroll down into the show notes. Click on the Discord. Um, a wonderful community, pop culture, food, all kinds of stuff uh, that we talk about. But in particular, the MCU. And when you get there, make sure you click on the roll assign. Click on the emojis, and you'll get access to all the spoiler channels to participate with us there and you know share with a friend. Yeah. We'd also like to thank Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work on the SoundCloud, which is also linked in the show notes. Well, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. And Jude, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Trey. We'll see you all next week. Daniel... Brother Daniel. Yeah. Said to you, this was 930 this morning. Do you want me to call you with my pre-spoiler thoughts tonight? I said, sure. Oh, does he- 636. 636 this afternoon. All right, bro. Seated for the movie. So. 
Wait, did he not call you for the thoughts? No. Okay, well, okay, he's 6.36. What time do you think he's going to be getting out? I don't know. Seven. Uh, we'd have to be recording around like 10. Let's see if he answers while he's in the movie. If he answers in the movie, that's, that's a big no-no. Especially as big as movie snobs as we are. How about this? Did he he was just gonna call you or was he gonna leave like a, a voice message? How was he gonna do that? He said I don't know, he just said, Do you want me to call you with my preschooler thoughts? I was like, sure. <laughs> Cause if he sends it And then I don't I don't hear f- from him for another couple of hours, six hours later. If, All right, bro, seated for the movie. What's up with bro lately? I don't know, bro. Like no, even before my <gasps> oldest kept saying bro a lot and bro and broski. No. And then my niece. Just as just as Hawkeye's coming out, my friend, my friend Casey, his youngest, he's like, dude, he's like, everything's bro, 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 bro. Everything's bro. Well, one, the obvious answer is nothing is real, and this is my own imagination. But two, the my niece, she's in a bro phase as well, and I don't think she's watching Hawkeye. She's a uh, yeah. Where's that coming from? It's got to be like a kid show or something. And because the way it happened is, she's been playing Super Mario 3D World this year, and she's gotten really good yeah. at it. But every now and then, she'll be like, "Hey, I can't do this," uh, and so she'll ask me to help her. And and when I do, um, and and then I do. But the last time that she asked me to help her, I just immediately died on a flub. And she goes, "Bro, were you even trying?" And I was just kind of like flabbergasted that my <laughs> friggin' seven, eight year old nie- niece. Was talking to me like that. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh! Just wait. But yeah, just everything wait. was bro. But yeah, like uh, my youngest is a is the B R U H, bruh. And I'm just like, don't bruh me. Come on, bruh. Well, bruh, like it's like like bruh. Can I get a sandwich? It's like, dude, no, you're not gonna talk to me that way. And yes, I'll dude you. Like, I kind of like that. I know I'm not supposed to, and I just talked about my niece talking <sighs> to me like that, but here on this side of it, I love the idea of your youngest being like, hey, can I get a sandwich, bruh? <laughs> yeah. But, and, and I don't know where it came from. My friend Casey doesn't know where it came from, but it's just like every other, bro, bro, bro. Well, see, like, I... I, I'm familiar with it because I remember, like, in the streaming days, like, I mean, it's like you would throw it out there sarcastically. But at the same time, and I hate this, I everything always starts out sarcastic and it becomes genuine. I remember there was a point, it's like, hey, what's up, my dudes? And it was like, at first, it was just being sarcastic because people were throwing that as a joke, and then it became sincere. So I'm assuming somebody brought back bro, and now it's just a sincere thing again. I guess. <sighs> Are we old? <sighs> Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> I just turned 31 this week. Gosh, yes. Yep. Am I that much older than you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's why I didn't get your Princess Bride reference last week. <laughs> Neither one of y'all got that. And I was just like, how in the world? <laughs> Like the only other thing I could have done was, but would have just gonna throw out there and be like, "My name is Igor Montoya." <laughs> like I didn't think that that was necessary. And then my last ditch effort, oh, the six fingered man, like that was dumb. <laughs> like, do you, do you know what the one armed man one armed man is? Uh, I wasn't me. It was the one armed man. No, I mean man? I've seen the movie, but I just haven't committed to memory. I guess. 
Okay. So what movie? The Princess Bride. No. Oh my gosh. The the phrase it wasn't me, it was the one armed man. Uh it's not for the Princess Bride. No then. Okay. What is that? The Fugitive. Yeah, I've never seen that. Tommy Lee Jones won an Academy Award for it. Yeah. There was a sequel off of that just because Tommy Lee Jones was so good at that character. You know what my first they Tommy just, Lee... They just invented a sequel for it, for Tommy Lee Jones. Please don't say Batman Forever. What came out first, Men in Black or Batman Forever? Batman Forever, I and think. And Batman Forever was my first Tommy Lee Jones I, movie. <laughs> I, I think. Let me Google that. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm going to Google it too. Now that you say that, what is my first Tommy Lee Jones movie? I was, I'm too old, young. Men in Black was to have. Go ahead, continue. You're too old to what? To have seen him when he in his uh, soap opera days. He was in soap operas. I think so. Uh, okay, so Batman Forever, 1995. Men in Black, 1997. Batman Forever is the first Tommy Lee Jones movie I ever saw. Yeah, from 71 to 75, he was in One Life to Live. A lot of TV movies there. What would be the first thing I saw him in? Natural Born Killers? No, I never saw that, actually. I wanted to, but it was one of those things. It was one of the few movies my parents were like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, very few movies. Howard the Duck. Dear Lord, JFK might have been the first thing I saw. Oliver Stone's JFK, Clay Shaw. That might have been the first thing I saw Tommy Lee Jones in. Yeah, meanwhile, Howard the Duck. (laughs) Then The Fugitive. Jeez. Never seen The Fugitive. Client. I didn't see Natural Born Killers. Batman Forever. Volcano. Volcano was pretty good. Men in I, Black. I think I vaguely remember the that. Yes, Marshals. I remember Small Soldiers. Double Jeopardy. I didn't see that. Rules of Engagement. Space Cowboys. Men in Black 2. Never, I don't remember seeing Men in Black 2. I do. Haunted the Missing. The Man in the House. I haven't seen a lot of Tommy Lee Jones movies. I'm realizing this as I'm looking at it too. Neither have I. I've seen No Country for Old Men. Seen Captain America, obviously. Men in Black. Lincoln. For being one of those, it's like Tommy Lee Jones. Like that's a, you know, a name. I'm looking through and I'm like, I have not seen a lot of his stuff. Interesting. Okay. Well, he makes the most of what he appears in. Yeah. How did we get here? How did we get here? (laughs) We were just about to start Hawkeye, and now we're talking Tommy Lee Jones. Oh. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, the six-fingered man. Oh, yeah. It was a good joke. I just didn't catch it till editing. All right, let's get started. (laughs) All right, uh, here we go. Let's just jump into it.